Welcome to the Lived Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Kleber, and today's a solo episode, and there's two in a week. I've been productive for once, and what I'm going to talk about today is a, is a big incident that happened during the week, which sort of got the conversation going again, and just go around some thoughts and actually talk about some data about um, suicide in Australia and, and how, it, how it is a big problem. So, um, you know, trigger warning, you know, there might be some difficult things I say in here which, which, which trigger you or, or bring up some thoughts or emotions. So please make sure you Google and check out all those appropriate hotlines and all those things online and um, hope you enjoy or get a bit out of today's episode. So let's go. So the big news of the week was uh, rugby great Paul Green, who died by suicide, unfortunately, at the age of 49 years old. And that definitely dominated the news cycle. Obviously, in Victoria, um, NRL is not overly as big, but definitely in um, you know Brisbane and, and New South Wales and Queensland, uh, this was really big news. And had some sporting athletes and come out and make some sort of heart, some sort of you know they were pretty heartfelt um, appeals to, the, to a lot of blokes, you know, to sort of speak and and they just couldn't understand how this sort of happened. And and this is the thing um, with 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 suicide, you know, it just suddenly comes out of nowhere and and really. Devastates, you know, the community in this case, but um, you know, not at a community level. Let's say just families and just just <laughs> rest of your life is changed um, after the death. And if you want to have a listen to a good episode on this, was um interview with Brad McEwen, who lost a parent and I think it was a brother as well uh, to suicide. And he goes into it all, and it's just a devastating thing that happens to a lot of Australian families, unfortunately. And you know, if you don't already know this in Australia, um, this was I'm just going reading out some few websites here now, which is stuff you can look up online, but. You know, the leading killer of the leading killer amongst you know blokes who are fifteen to twenty four and twenty five to forty four is suicide. So th- that's a quite you know most people might think it's heart disease or something else, but that or cancer or things like that. But um, that's a quite damning stat that between the ages of fifteen to forty four, your biggest risk in your life of dying early is going to be from suicide from you taking your own life. And if you look at the, some other you know some other data which is freely available, I'm just going to read out um, some things here as well. Um, you know, the, the age-specific rate per 100,000, this was on a, on a, on a data um, that you can find on the website from Australia in 2020. And if you look at the numbers, just how much more it is than, um, than, than, the, than women, it's, it's just quite remarkable. So, for example, you know, the highest, the highest rate is the, the age seems to be around 36 years of age, and that's the, high, that's the most likely age in Australia for a male or for a person that's going to commit suicide. It's around 36 and the stat was in that time was around, you know, out of 100, trend over time has been over 100,000 people, it's around 36 um, men will, will choose to end their life. And that's from a trend line over 19, from 1907 to 2020, right? And if you look at the trend over, let's say, from this thing I'm looking at now from 1907 to 2020, um, it got out, of, it was really out of control, let's say, from 1910 to 1930, that sort of time, it was above 100, right? Per 100,000. So it's definitely come down a bit. But if you look at the actual graph, it's it's sort of trending down, but it's sort of since 19, let's say, 70. It was actually it's at its lowest for whatever reason. It was at its lowest in around the 1960, um, late 60s mark for whatever reason. Um, but from 1970 onwards, it's sort of been a steady sort of – it's it's hung around the, 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 the late 20s to, to 30 per 100,000 um, of people or men, sorry, uh, that are unfortunately uh, deciding to end their life and – Obviously, it's the biggest killer of men. Um, women is significantly less. Um, it's let's say you know, just comparing here. Let's go to forty to forty-four. So forty to forty-four um, out of women, it's seven point eight on average out of a hundred thousand will end their life. For men, it's twenty-seven and point one. So it's it's a significant increase, and it's a big problem. 
And now, you know, what we have is we have a lot of community and we get a lot of media push around it, you know, talk, 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 and it ain't worth to speak and all those sorts of things. But, you know, look, you know, it's sort of, it's going to go down down again and then unfortunately this will happen again and then the same sort of rhetoric and messages will be come out and say, you know, talk, talk, talk and, and things like that. And I think it goes beyond that. Um, look, I'm not... I'm not, you know, speaking as an expert in this area. There's, there's far better people that are psychologists or psychiatrists. This is just one person's thoughts. And if you don't know my story, please check out previous podcasts and you can learn about it, why, why I do this. But, you know, suicide's a thing that for me personally I've been exposed to a lot. Um, you know, growing up, um, you know, my mum uh, used to threaten suicide all the time and it sort of lost a lot of meaning, uh, meaning after a while. Um, it was more of a call for help or just a bluff or just acting out, if anything, um, but, you know, where, where it really hit home for us is, um, you know, my mum had a lot of friends um, in the psychiatric ward and, you know, they would, um, you know, let's say on pop on being released, um, you know, jump off a bridge or or slit their wrist or something or kill themselves and mum would be crying, devastated because her friend, she found out, killed herself and then she'd have to go, like, this sort of stuff, right? So I was exposed to this from a very early age. You know, we're talking, I'm thinking like from eight or from I've got a really... I can remember some stuff from that sort of onwards. So that was something which I was exposed to and never really spoken about. There was no real mental health awareness movement back when I was eight, you know, nine, ten years old. And that was something that just happened and it was hush hush and, and under the rug. And it was truly devastating, um, you know, to see, you know, your mum crying and, and it's because she's lost a friend to suicide. And then, and then to imagine uh, what that family's going through, you know, with these troubled. Unfortunately, sometimes individuals and, and sometimes, you know, that, that's their escape and that's what they do. Um, but it, it, it's it's an unfortunate fact. And we also had it happen to a um, an uncle of mine when I first moved to Melbourne, um, went missing and unfortunately um, decided to end his life, um, which was not good at all. And that really devastated my mum and put her back into a psychiatric ward. And, you know, that, that still, you know, still haunts us, you know, to this day. So, like, I think everyone who's listening to this, you know someone or have been touched um, you've got a friend or you've had a relation or, you know, whoever it is, you know someone who has um, decided to win their life um, and it's tough. But, like, you know, what can we do about it? You know, we look, what we're doing at the moment is we're putting, you know, call centres in place and, and, and putting the onus on the bloke to sort of, let's say, not say man up, but, like, you know, take it on him to actually be proactive when he's feeling like that and to reach out for help and trying to get that gap between knowing they should do something and actually doing something because that's the problem, right? As blokes, you know, we, we like to think, you know, we know better or that's not me or I'm never going to do that or whatever. And then all of a sudden it can happen and it does happen. Um, so there's this there's this thing about, you know, getting help and how can we make help um, as easy as possible. And there's a cool organisation that we um, deal with at work called TX, which is this is a conversation starter and, it's a confidential counselling service for truckies, tradies, rural blue collar type people. But you can text them and they'll and they'll give you a call back, and that's really important. I think just having that real low barrier to entry where you can text this number and you can get a you know I think it's up to six counselling sessions with qualified people back um, for you, which I think is really important because the barrier to go and get on a mental health plan is it's it's bloody embarrassing, right? I've done it once before, and I'll tell you my story about it. So what happened was I got to an age where I was probably twenty eight, twenty nine. I remember it was 27, but I never, ever had spoken to someone about growing up with my mum and all that sort of stuff, which came with it, and I had a lot of issues on, a, you know, that I believed were from that, and that's 
you know, call that an excuse or what you not, but that, you know, sometimes your circumstances do define you and, and shape your behavior, and they did for me. And I really wanted to get it sorted out because, you know, I I, I had some things that I, I didn't want to do anymore and I needed to get it sorted and I believed it was due to that. And just to go to the doctor and say, look, I don't think I don't have depression or anxiety, but I want to deal with childhood trauma or PTSD. I believe I've got from having a, a bipolar mother, but blah 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 blah. Can you just give me the referral so I can get the discounted rate with Medicare? And then you have to go through questions. I'm like, mate, I don't need to do this. I'm not depressed. I just want to get the mental health plan, and I want to get this thing done so I can get the cheaper help that I didn't get when I was younger. All right. So he's like, yeah, no, 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 you got to do it. So I have to go through all these questions and he's just like, just tell me you're depressed so I can just tick it and, and whatever. So I had to do that, right? And then I have to go and then I have to go and now ring up or who's a referral to a, to a psychologist or whatever and they're a pain in the ass to deal with. Sorry if you are a psychologist, listen to this. I'm not. I'm being generalist but my experiences has been pretty average with them and then you call them and you get the receptionist and then you don't get a call back and then you have to wait three weeks down the track and then if you go in there, you have to tell them your whole life story that you don't feel you get nothing out of it for paying 180 bucks or whatever you have to pay. Um, and it's very frustrating and I found one in the end and I stuck with her for a, for a while and the reason why I liked her was because end of the day, you've got to try probably a couple of psychologists to get one that you actually like or that you think um, can help you. Um, the reason why I chose this one was because she was a, um, a mental health nurse. I think mental health nurse, nurses have one of the toughest jobs in, in Australia and uh, she knew my experience, you know, she knew what I went with and that was that really helped me and she basically she didn't really help me too much in regards to advice, which is more of a listening thing for a while, but it did help. But that barrier, which I'm telling you right now, all, to get help and, and to try and, and try and sort things out on your mind, there's a lot of barriers in place and it's still that way. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not too sure about it now, but like for me personally, calling Lifeline or something is not appropriate. Like I don't need it. Um, I'd just be wasting their time. Um, it's not going to help me, right? But if I wanted to get help for what I've or for what I dealt with, um, you know, growing up with a pair with Manelis and all that sort of stuff, which I've still still got, you know, unresolved issues with, it's such an onerous process and I have to wait and I wait and wait and then I have to go get a mental health plan again and I have to pay money, then I get a rebate from Medicare, which it's expensive. To get good mental health um, care and, and, and to talk to a psychologist in Australia is bloody expensive and, it's quite interesting, you know. I was thinking about the other day. We always we might bag out, let's say, the US or America for a lot of things, but the one thing they get it right is they they encourage therapy. You always see, hear it in their mainstream television shows. Oh yeah, I had to go to see the therapy or the therapy for this. They love therapy, and it's such a bloody good thing um, that they love it, and that's how they talk about it. Whereas in Australia, it's still a very embarrassing thing to say. You know, I'm going to see a psychologist. I do think. Workplaces look down on you. They might they might virtual signal and say, "Oh, look, we're doing all this stuff with Beyond Blue." Yet internally, the bosses or someone will look down on you, and that, that's just a fact. And if you can relate to that, send me a note um, because I think workplace mental health is really suffering at the moment in Australia. I think Australians work bloody hard, and um, you know it's still a culture where if you were if it was known you had mental health challenges or you took off time for stress leave or whatever. Your work colleagues would not look at you the same way. You know, we hope some would, but a lot of them won't, and that's just a fact. Um, but as I said, the barrier to getting help for people, um, real help, not just a hotline where you get referred to someone else, because that's not that might help you in a crisis. But in regards to getting resolved issues or, or you know seeking help for depression or whatever it is, or getting a diagnosis, um, it's not going to help. So the thing is, you know, we'll have this big wave of you know not weak to speak men, all that sort of stuff, yada, 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 which is good because it might get some people to actually take action. But there'll be a lot of people who still won't 
And, and you know, the suicide rate, if you look at it over the last 40, 50 years, it stayed about the same. So, you know, even we've got all this awareness we're doing now, I think it's slightly decreasing a little bit, which is good. But there is something where we need to try other things, we need to do other things. And, you know, what that is, I don't know. Um, is it something where we start these conversations from a younger age or is it something where we start, you know, looking at the, the, to- the totality of health or well-being, right? So it's not just mental health. You know, there's physical health. Um, you know, there, there's there's wellness. Are you eating right? Are you exercising? All these sorts of things, you know, not just, you know, saying everything's mental health and giving someone a pill or or whatever. So having a more of a holistic approach to just men and young boys' life in general, I think there's a lot of disillusioned men, um, disillusioned young boys, um, you know, and they feel very alienated um, and from society, I think, and that gets them into a flat spot. And then, unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of people think the only way out or the world would be better out without them is to, is to end their life. And that's just a generalisation. I'm not an expert. I don't know what the reason is. But I just think if you look at what is being done and, and, and what happens in this mental health space and just awareness, 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 I think it's time to start really, really looking at trying some other things as I said, what I what I think they that is, I don't have the answer. If I had the answer, I would tell you. Um, but I just think there's the people who need the help don't get it. I think the barrier to to getting help and afford affordable uh, psychiatric care, which is not a a burden, you know, would be a really big thing. And I think that would actually save lives. I think being able to get um, a, access to a, a really good psychologist for an affordable rate, let's say less than 100 bucks a session with the rest comp by Medicare um, would be really helpful. Um, that would help me. It's still a barrier to me, you know, like we're saving for a house and the last thing I want to do is go and pay $180 or $160 to see a psychologist. Like seriously, it's the last thing I want to do, even though I probably need to do one. Um, that's the, that I'm just talking as a real person and that's the barrier barrier to it. And if you can relate, um, drop me a note. But it's it's something where we've got to start looking beyond the awareness and, and what can we actually do to sort of start changing things. And is that programs in schools? Is that more mentors for young men? Um, you know, are we making sure young men uh, have got a fulfilling life? You know, what's happening? And it's just, it's just something where I just think we need to start getting beyond the awareness because everyone knows depression and anxiety is an issue. You know, what are we doing about it? Um, you know, we can have as many fundraisers as we can to increase hotlines or put more money into marketing or administration from the big brands, but it doesn't really seem to be doing overly a lot. And as I said, you know, if for those who listen, the big brands don't, they're all about suicide prevention. They still don't really help people with bipolar, who is 1.25% of the population and, and schizophrenia as well. And proportionately, if you have a bipolar or schizophrenia or schizoassociative disorder as a condition, you're far more likely, uh, you know, you're at a higher risk of, of choosing to end your life. So you have suicide prevention brands um, or charities who don't really cater to these two, to these people and the, and the organisations that do cater these pe- to, to these people don't get nowhere near enough awareness or support. And this is an episode where um, I might release just a portion of it again, but with Susanna Bluevol, who has been told specifically by fund rate, by funding and, and by government officials and stuff that bipolar is a word if you you know you should call your your charity something else because the word bipolar is something where it's a lot of stigma and it, it does it won't go over as well right so there's still a lot of a, a lot of destigmatization with bipolar and schizophrenia to go i think with depression and anxiety i think the stigma 
in regards to that word or that condition, I think that's gone, which is really good. But going beyond that, getting the person who who wants help but who has these barriers in front of them, let's remove the barriers, and also getting people to take action and also look at their own lives. I think that's a big thing. I think we just want to blame everything on, um, let's say, the chemical imbalance in the brain, which would be depression or anxiety or, or, or whatever it is, but actually look at their life as well in a total. And, and, you know, if you're a friend or you're a family member, can you actually look at their life in in a totality? You know, are they are they exercising? Are they eating? Are they got good social relationships? Are they involved in the community? These sorts of things. And that's what makes, I presume, you know, this Paul uh, Paul Green's um, death a tragedy as well because he would, if he had a family, he had a... Uh, involved in the sporting community, all these sorts of things, right? But he just had that, for whatever reason, he made that decision to end his end his life. Um, and it's something that baffles me. It baffles a lot of people. And, and I, you know, if you're somebody listening who's lost a parent or a family member to suicide and they had everything right, it seems, in their life and they still try to do that, it's extremely baffling. Um, but as I said, you know, what what more can be done? Well, I don't know. I don't have the answers to that. I'll keep looking. I just think it's a, this something where we need to start trying other things just besides promoting hotlines, as, as I said. I'm not bagging on the hotlines. I'm not, they obviously do an important role and a good job. But we need to start looking at other avenues. Is there other research we can do? Is there other te- techniques? Do we need to start doing things with young men in school in regards to educating them about mental health? I don't know. Is that the answer? I really don't know. But one thing I do think we can do, and I think it's a must, um, as much as I would hate to say, but the Greens had a really good idea. I'm not going to into politics, but the Greens had a good idea in making mental health on Medicare. It should be on Medicare. I think the financial benefit to the economy regarding improving the lives or improving people's mental health and getting them help would have a massive economic benefit to the economy. Um, I think in the report with Bipolar Australia, it's estimated like, Bipolar costs the economy like $8 billion or something a year, right? So you can imagine for other conditions, you know, we're talking tens of billions of dollars of probably lost production of the economy because of people's mental health and wellness. So can we put a dent in that? Can we reduce stress leave and all that sort of stuff by providing people to support when they need it? I think things like that, which we can do, um, which are financial things and things that the government can actually do is something that will help. And the other thing will be also looking at the totality of what makes a good life. Um, you know, I spoke, I did a podcast with Jim's group CEO, Jim Penman, Jim's mowing, he's my boss if you don't know. But, you know, he talks about, you know, he's got a really good life and it's not because of his money. He doesn't live very, very rich, rich. He doesn't really live a rich life. He lives very frugal as anyone can know him would. But he says one thing in which really stood out to me and I agree with it is the, the you know, you the sense of community, right? So there's a massive great movement in Australia, which you'll be aware of, called the Men's Shed Movement, which is basically I think it's like a shed or a workshop where men will come and they will work on projects together and things like that. And it's generally older men, so let's say blokes above the 45, 50, and they come and they build things and all that sort of stuff. And just that real social element because it can get very isolating. And, and for example, if you look at the, 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 the average age of where the highest amount of suicides is occurring, it's around 36, and most of that in men – they would most likely have a maybe a young family and they're still deciding um, to end their life, whether it be just due to pressures, financial pressures. I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. But it does tell you um, that 
there is something in people's lives that is missing or that there's something that they can add which can hopefully help um, them feel more fulfilled and have a sense of purpose so that they don't feel aimless and and then decide to do this. Um, you know, look, I've gone on for long enough. There's a lot of stuff and a lot of interesting research on this. The one I was referring to was the aihw.gov.au, the Suicide Self-Harm Monitoring Summary, and it goes over like 100 and something years of data. It's actually um, a very interesting uh, report. Um and there's, it's got a bunch of stats and all these sorts of things. And, look, the main thing to take away, it's, look, it's the biggest killer for blokes under 44. Um, they're far more likely to commit suicide than men. Um, as much as men are, you know, we, I don't know, we're copping it a bit at all sides for a lot of different things. I think this is one thing where I hope um, we all come together and start um, acknowledging that and, and try and supporting blokes a bit more. Um, as I said, the one thing I think we could do um, – make mental health, make proper mental health and psychologists more accessible. And if there is not enough psychologists, because I don't think there is, maybe even at universities or whatever it is, maybe maybe make that one free. I don't, I don't know. But I'm just saying here, there's not enough support, proper support in person for blokes who need it. And, you know, the, the time for awareness is over. We're going to keep going about awareness when this happens again. Um, but we need to start trying some other things. So... I'll leave it there tonight, guys, and I'll leave a link to the reports and what I'm reading in the show notes. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and got a bit of it. If it did trigger you, please make sure you call the appropriate people. Um, Lifeline is, where is it, 131114 if you need to, but there are other great options there as well. One I did mention is TX. I think TX is a fantastic initiative by two great blokes. And TX is something you can text or call on 0488846. 9888 and I'll leave it there I hope you enjoyed the episode and until next time stay safe and we'll talk soon